Today's reading comes from Ecclesiastes 8, 1 through 17. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Who is like the wise man who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. Obey the king's command, I say. Because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure For every matter, though a man's misery weighs heavily upon him. Since no man knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? No man has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the day of his death. As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Then, too, I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This, too, is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, The hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve, and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This, too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, his eyes not seeing sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. You may be seated. You will benefit from having your Bibles open there to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I think it's fair to say that during this series, I'm preaching someone else's sermon each week. Because uh, the self-identified author from chapter 1 is the preacher. He calls himself the preacher or Koheleth in the Hebrew. 
And most scholars believe that he is the, the, he's the wise King Solomon, the son of King David. And throughout the book, he's been applying his wisdom to these events that happen under the sun. So he's taking a look at him as this wise man, and he's applying his wisdom to it. And we've been looking at that each week. And really, I've just been repeating his wisdom to you each week. And this morning, the preacher in chapter 8, he applies his wisdom to a problem uh, that no one can avoid. And that is the problem of evil. When, when you're going through this life, if you believe that there is a, 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 a God, if you have a faith that there's somebody that's beyond the sun, it's not just what you see underneath the sun, but there, there is somebody, there's a supreme ruler, there's somebody who's, who's in charge of every matter, as he says, or every event under heaven, then when you have these intersections with evil, you have to ask yourself, how do I navigate in this ungodly world? What, what kind of wisdom should guide my thinking as I intersect a world where evil exists? And this text here this morning, the preacher offers three key intersections in life. And so we're just going to look at those as he preaches to us. First, uh, how, do, how do we reach this intersection? We, what, what kind of wisdom do we use when we intersect authority? Especially if it's authority that's oppressive or evil or wicked. Second intersection, what, 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 are, what are we supposed to do when we come across uh, inequity or unfairness? How are we supposed to act or react or think about that particular intersection? And finally, what kind of wisdom should we use in the face of mystery? So we're coming to these intersections because this is what uh, Solomon is telling us about authority, inequity, and mystery. And before I look at those three things, I want to examine uh, this presupposition that we didn't read. If you just look back one verse in chapter 7, verse 29, uh, Koheleth, or the preacher, he, he has this presupposition. And you know that what that is. It's an, and it's, it's an assumption. It's something you take for granted. And he's taken something for granted. In other words, if I say God created the heavens and the earth, then you could say, well, Paul assumes or he takes for granted that there is a God. And so he said something very important that I, I want us to capture here. And we don't have time to unpack, but it's helpful as we move through uh, this particular chapter. Chapter 7, verse 29. See this alone I found. That God made man upright, but they, or man, have sought out many schemes couple other translations. I find this out. I did find this out. God created men to be virtuous, but man each turned to follow their own downward path. Or here's the only other thing I found. God made men honest, but men made many evil plans. And so the, pe the preacher is taking for granted that you know that God made man good and man made things evil. That's just his assumption. As he rolls into this chapter, he's assuming that when you come across evil, that you're going to say, yeah, that exists because of man. It doesn't exist because of God. Now, that's a that's a big assumption. 
And we don't have a whole, well, that take a whole sermon series maybe to under, unpack that. But what I just, I'm trying to do is just say he's assuming it. He's assuming that you are going to come across evil. And when you come across evil and you want to assign blame or you re- want to resp- assign responsibility for, you're going to assign that back to, to man. You're not going to shake your fist at God because God made things and he made man good. But man came in and he devised these many schemes, these evil schemes. He went down. A, he went through to a downward trajectory. So let's look at chapter eight in these three intersections, the wisdom in the face of authority. You see this in verse two through verse nine. I say, keep the king's command because of God, of God's oath to him. Don't be hasty to go from the king's presence. Don't take your stand in the evil cause against the king. For the king does whatever he pleases. The word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? So, so throughout, it's helpful to understand that throughout human history, and especially in Solomon's day, uh, the, the people were governed by kings or rulers. And these rulers were not elected officials. They didn't answer to the people. In fact, just the opposite, the people answered to them. So whatever the king decreed, whatever the ruler said was, we're going this way, then the people just had to, to get in line. There was no way to, to elect people out of those particular positions. And so the king had this power in his hand, and it was the power of life and death. And we know not only from verse 9, but for, from human history, this absolute authority in one man's hand often has led to the hurt of his own people. So when a man has this kind of power, especially if he's a wicked or evil man, when he wields this kind of power, it can be to his own countrymen's detriment. And Solomon's trying to ask this question, if you live in this kind of situation, which he would be familiar with, how as a Christian do you intersect this kind of authoritative structure or this kind of oppression? Paul says this in Romans 13, everyone must submit to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God himself has instituted. It's the Apostle Paul, Romans 13. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether kings or governors. Show proper respect to everyone. Fear God. Honor the king. So Paul and Peter are just picking up with what the preacher has said here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And that is, when you're coming into this intersection with this authority, whether it's a good authority or whether it's a bad authority, whether it's the president or the ruler or whether it's your boss, when you come to this intersection and that person makes a decision, your first step as a Christian is towards the person in obedience. That's the first, first thing. Keep the king's command. Keep the king's command. The king is there by God's sovereign design for one reason or another, whether you and I get it or not. When we have somebody who's our boss, when we have somebody who we have to submit to, when we have a government, a person, a ruler, a king, our first step is we want to step towards that person. What can I do to come in line? What can I do to try to keep the command of the person who's in charge? 
And I think it's really important to understand the sort of environment that Peter and Paul wrote this in. Peter and Paul writing it in an environment where the king that they're trying to step towards is going to step towards them and take their heads off. So this isn't some sort of benevolent dictator that they're, they're underneath. These people are out to kill the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, and they're successful. And so when they say it, they're not talking about just somebody that's the president that you may like or you may not. They're talking about somebody who's hostile to your belief system. And they're saying your first step needs to be towards the person. Try to get in line with the person. Try to be for and be behind the king. And, of course, it's really just difficult for us to appreciate this kind of environment. Because if you don't like somebody, there's at least a chance every two or four years, you, you know, you might be able to elect them out of office. But just last night before I was going to bed, I was reading a, an article on some uh, the, the Christians in Iraq. And the Christians in Iraq have now in the northern part of Iraq in the second largest city behind Baghdad in a city called Mosul. It's in the northern part. It's been overrun by this Islamic extremist. And so the Christians that were there were already under some pretty heavy persecution. But just this past week, a vehicle would travel through the Christian neighborhoods and say, you have a couple of options here. One, you can convert immediately to, to become a, a, a believer in Islam. Or two, you can die. Or three, you can flee. Those are your options. And you have to leave all your possessions behind. And we'll check you when you get to the border. So just, I mean, just try to sit for a moment and imagine if I'm preaching this text in that context. You, you have to go home and whatever you can put in your pockets, that's all you get. And you don't have a title to a home, a car, nothing. You may never come back there again. Church will probably be torn down by the time you return. And the wise King Solomon is saying to these kinds of people, the king is established and you want at least your first step to be towards the person trying to be obedient. It's a tough, tough call. It's a, it's a tough call there. It's a tough call even our own country, because we have such an, an independent streak that serves us well in some ways, but not in others. I, I know I've told you the story about an evangelist named John Guest. He's preached here before. And he, was, uh, uh, he lived in England in the 60s, and he came to America to become an evangelist. And when he came to America, he got interested in the Revolutionary War memorabilia as you might imagine a man from england coming to america and uh, he gets in an antique store and he notices these these particular signs don't tread on me no taxation without representation and then he came along to this one sign and it says we serve no sovereign here and this is what he wondered how do i come to a people proclaiming the kingdom of god when they have a built-in allergy in their culture to sovereignty how do I say, hey, I'm, I'm going to tell you about a king. 
Somebody you're going to have to bow down to. Somebody you're going to have to follow when I'm coming into a, a culture that has a built-in allergy to sovereignty. We just don't want somebody ruling over us. That didn't come from America. That came from the garden. It started in Genesis chapter 3. I just have a built-in allergy. So just saying you have to be obedient, just for me to say that out loud, probably for some of you, you just get a little tight. And especially when you have to be obedient to somebody who's not going in your direction, maybe is actually hostile to what you think. And here the wise king and Peter and Paul are saying, step in, try try to get with, try to get behind, try to be in accord with the king. Koheleth understands this allergy to authority. So he adds in verse 3, don't be hasty to go from the king's presence. I mean, don't, don't turn your back on authority. That's what he's trying to say. You, you hear something from your parent. You hear something from your boss. You hear something from your government. Don't just turn your back and walk away. Try, try to stay in. Try to stay engaged. Try to understand where they're coming from. Don't be hasty to take your stand in an evil cause. Meaning, don't, don't go out and try to overthrow the king. I love Derek Kidner's commentary. He wrote an excellent commentary on Ecclesiastes. And just listen carefully to this phrase. When dealing with the dangerous impulses of a king, sometimes wisdom, listen, sometimes wisdom has to fold its wings and take the form of discretion, content to keep its possessor out of trouble. So, so I'm intersecting this person who I don't think is acting wisely. But I'm in submission to that person. And sometimes my wisdom will have to just fold its wings, to fold its tent to my benefit. Because if I keep saying what I want to say, I'm going to come against the king. Look, that's hard. You're right, they're wrong. There will be times you'll have to just fold your tent and live with what God has. Where, where do we see that the most clear? On the cross. The, the real wise man stands before a king, a ruler. Imagine how much he had to retract in order to stand there. and Say, well, you know what, God has a different plan. Sometimes wisdom has to learn to to fold its wings and just be content. Now, once you sort of digest these opening verses, I think Koheleth anticipates the next set of questions, which is, okay, well, I'm going to my first step is going to be toward obedience. But what if (laughs) and then you fill in. I mean, you've got the thousand what ifs probably in your head right now. Well, okay, I can try to be obedient, but what if, what if my boss asked me to lie? I mean, can I, can I, should I step into that? What if I have to obey Hitler's commands? He's my ruler. What if I have to convert to Islam? What, see, see, there's a thousand what ifs. The, the wise man is saying, hey, let's, let's principally act Towards the person in favor. Let's principally try to get behind him. But he anticipates this this problem. You see it in verse 5. The heart 
The wise heart will know the proper time and the just way, for there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. So I think what Koheleth is saying is I understand that there's a lot of what ifs, and I want you to try to work towards obedience, but while you're doing that, you're going to have to exercise some level of discernment. And sometimes your discernment is going to cause you to step away at some point. So this is a great lunchtime discussion. My parent, my boss, my president, my ruler, whoever it is. When when do I step in? When do I step away? And there's lots of biblical examples, but probably the one we know most best is Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these three young men who lived in Jerusalem, these Orthodox Jewish boys, were ripped out of their culture and they were put in Babylon, essentially, where Iraq is now. And they're brought there and they have to serve the king. They directly serve and report to the king. And I can't even imagine the kinds of compromises they had to make in order to serve this particular king. And so they tried their best to get in behind the king, but then the king went one step too far. You remember? And I'm going to make this image, and when it rolls by, everybody bow down. And they just said, hey, I'm, I'm exercising discretion now. There's a time, and now I can't step into that. So there are some Christians today, because Saturday was the day, if you lived in Iraq, that you had to leave your home, that are walking now and said, I, can't, I just can't do that. It's not something just happened 3,000 years ago or 2,000. Something happens today. People have to make those choices. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who lived, ironically, maybe 100 miles from Mosul, said, I've got to use a wise heart. I've got to know the proper time. And then look at verse 7. It kind of reads to me like this sober warning. If you decide in your wisdom... That, that you believe it's best for you to walk away. Verse 7, for he, this person, you don't know what's going to happen. Who can tell how it's going to turn out? And the reason I think that's so important is there are sometimes you're going to say, I've got to take a stand against this. And I've either got to take a stand or I've got to walk away. And you feel like, God, I know I'm doing what you want me to do, but I'm going to get punished for it. And Kohela says, yeah, you don't know how it's going to turn out. See, it turned out well for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember that? It didn't turn out well for Dietrich Bonhoeffer. When, when he took his stand, he got shot. It didn't turn out well for the Apostle Paul. It's not turning out well for thousands of Iraqi Christians. So you may take your stand, he's saying, you may say, your reason says, here's the place to take the stand. But I don't want you to become sort of pompous and say, well, I I know God's going to bless me. I know it's all going to turn out right. You know, see, because God's economy, it just doesn't all turn out right under the sun. So he's, he's, he's issuing this warning. You may do the right thing, but there's no guarantee of the outcome. God's rewards just aren't measured by what happens in this world. So so we have our first intersection. We 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 come to this place where we're intersecting authority, particularly when it's oppressive or evil. How how are we supposed to act? How are we supposed to react 
Solomon gives us some help here. Second intersection, the face, wisdom in the face of inequity. See this in, in verse 10 through 14. I, I saw the wicked buried. So Solomon somehow is at this funeral. He knows this man was a wicked man. They used to go in and out of the holy place or the temple. And, were, and they were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is, this is vanity. Because of the sentence against the, against the evil deed is not executed with speed, the heart of the children of man are fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does it evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know it will be well with those who fear God. Verse 14, there is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. So when you read these four verses, I, I'm sure it dry, these same things drive you crazy. They drive me crazy. And here, here are the things that he said. First thing drives me crazy. A dead man who was a charlatan who regularly visited the temple on Sabbath, and yet the rest of the week he was wicked. When it comes to his funeral, everyone understands his duplicity, and they all say, oh, he was a wonderful man. That drives me crazy. It's, I think it's driving the preacher crazy, not just this preacher, but the preacher He's saying, I can't believe it. Everybody knows what this man was like. He did the evil in the city where he went to the church. And yet at his funeral, everybody's saying, oh, he's such a wonderful guy. Again, Kidner, few things are more obnoxious than the sight of a wicked man flourishing. Yet wickedness respected and given the blessing of religion is even more sickening. Kohela says it's vanity. Second thing that drives you crazy, verse 11, that the reason this falsely religious man continued to continued in his wicked ways is because God didn't execute his justice speedily. So the guy's saying, hey, I'm prospering and you're telling me the Lord's going to judge me, but I just keep prospering. So it doesn't look like I should change my direction. So that's frustrating. You, you see that and you go, God, are you just asleep at the switch? I mean, come on. If I can see it, I'm sure you can see it. Why don't you do something right now? See, that's a frustration that you might have. Third frustration. It's not just a frustration. I think it stirs up suspicion about God. And that's verse 14. Why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? That's what he's asking. I'm looking and I see wicked people get what righteous people deserve and righteous people get what wicked people deserve. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's a very common question. Perhaps the best hymn writer ever on the planet is a guy named Asaph, A-S-A-P-H. He was a writer who wrote most of the Psalms. So he writes this in Psalm 73. As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant man when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from burdens of the common man. Their mouths lay claim to heaven while their tongues take possession of the earth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. 
In vain, I've washed my hands in innocence. I've tried to understand, but it was oppressive to me. So when you come across this very common intersection, how are you supposed to act? How are you supposed to think? What kind of wisdom can Solomon offer us here? And he says it in verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life. See, I'm seeing this prolonging of his life. Yet I know, I know something. I know it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he doesn't fear the Lord. Now notice he says, I know. Most of the time through the book, Solomon's saying, I saw, I'm making an observation. I see something, and then I make an observation. But now he's saying, I know something. His answer is not coming from observation, but it's coming from faith. It's here, here he is, the preacher. He's believing something that he's yet to see. And one day, it's all going to be well for those who fear God, and it's not going to go well for the wicked. So when I come to this intersection, and I don't get what's happening right now, what do I do? I say, there is going to be a day. I know there's going to be a day. It's not today. But for the man who fears the Lord for eternity, it will be well. And for the man who does not fear the Lord, it will not be well. And because I know that day's coming, that helps me stay in today. This is what you know. First Peter, second Peter three nineteen. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness. He is patient. He does not want anyone to perish. But everyone to come to repentance. You know that every man is destined to die once. And after that to face judgment. Hebrews 9. And you know from Jesus himself. Those who don't fear God. They will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what you know. And when you know that, helps you today when you come across this evil intersection. Many of you are familiar with the story Jesus told in Luke chapter 19, the, the rich man and Lazarus. Remember that? A rich man, he, he was not somebody who feared God. And he had everything he wanted in this life, this very brief, vaporous life. And Lazarus feared God, but he didn't have anything in this life. In fact, he was just looking for the crumbs off the table of Lazarus. And when they died, Lazarus goes to heaven. And the rich man who's unnamed. Isn't that interesting? We know Lazarus. He's in heaven. The rich man who has a name here. We don't know his name. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him Abraham's side and the rich man died and he was buried in hell. He was in torment. So he called out to Abraham, have pity on me, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. And Abraham replied, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things <laughs> for your vaporous lifetime. Like a mist. You got what you wanted. Now, now you're in agony and between us and you is a great chasm that's been fixed and nobody can cross it anymore. See, it's possible someone's here and 
they may just say, look, I think what's vanity or meaningless or vaporous is a bunch of people sitting and listening to some preacher preaching some other preacher sermon from 3,000 years ago. And I would say uh, to you, do you believe in any concept of fairness or justice? And I would bet you do. Because if I take my car and accidentally run into your car on the way out, you probably want me to pay for it. <laughs> what if I say, well, I just enjoy running into other cars. That's, that's fun to me. I mean, you should just let me go. Well, you probably wouldn't like that. You probably wouldn't want that. Why? Because because there's a built-in sense of justice. Things that are wrong somehow have to be righted. You know where that comes from? It comes from God. And one day you're going to stand before this God and you're going to be judged. And so before the chasm is too big, before it's too big and it's fixed, here is the way home. Trusting in Christ who's going to bring you all the way there. Today is the day before you stand before him and a chasm is fixed and you're in agony for eternity, even though for a very few years you got what you wanted here. Conclusion is this third intersection. The first intersection, how do we how do we think? What kind of wisdom do we use when we get towards these authoritative figures, especially if they're evil or wicked? What? What kind of wisdom do we, do we use when we come to these inequities in life that we just can't seem to figure out where God is? How should we think? The preacher helps us. And finally, we get to this wisdom in the face of mystery. Verse 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth and how neither day or night one's eyes are asleep, then I saw all the work of God. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Good verse to underline. However, much man may toil in seeking. However, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he can't find it out. So the preacher is approaching this final intersection. And he's saying, you know, no matter how much you read, no how many sleepless nights that you have, no matter how restless you are in trying to discover what's done under the sun, there are some things you just can't find out. You're just not going to have the answer to. You can search the scriptures and you can search the Internet and you can search your heart and mind and soul. There are some things you will not know the answer of why that happened. I got plenty of those in my life. They've been around any length of time. You got some, too. No matter how hard you try, you just can't figure out the answer and Koheleth, the wisest man who ever lives, lives, says, even if a wise man claims to know, if he, he claims to know God's intention, if he claims to know God's reasons, if he claims to know God's return, if he claims to know exactly why bad things are happening to you, don't trust that guy. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. You sit in a hospital room With a teenage boy who's on a respirator because he got hit going over Snow's Cut Bridge on a bike. And they say, hey, we're going to unplug and he's going to die. So the parents are there. Hey, why? Why? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that kind of question. I'm not qualified to answer that kind of question. 
There's some things that happen. I just don't know. I can't point you to an answer. I can just point you to the answer. Who one day will make all things new. Those who fear him, that it will go well for you in eternity. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children that we may follow all the words of his law. Well, we know that that word became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And when he came, what did he say to the people who were coming towards him? Follow me. He didn't say, here's the answer to every question. I'm the great Bible trivia guy. I mean, what a Bible trivia man you'd have for Jesus. Hey, what about this? What about that? No, he says, hey, follow. Before you get your answers, before you know how it's going to turn out, follow. You trust in me. I'll get you home. So the real question is, have you trusted in the real preacher, the real wise man? This is the word of God for the people of God who intersect these places in the world. Let's pray together. Lord, we just. um, We are here today because we desperately need your help. We're, We're not wise, we're simple. And we need your help. And when we intersect these places in our world. And especially as we just hear the news, how do, you, how do we try to pray for and be an encouragement to and think about being a Christian in Iraq today and having to walk away from all of our belongings, never to see them again? How do we live with these inequities that happen in a life and we just don't have an explanation for? Uh, how do we stand in places where we don't have answers? You've given us help today. But the biggest help is yourself. You promise you'll never leave us or forsake us, that you will work for our good. For those who fear you, it will be well for us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.